if you have a Bible, you can turn to Judges 7. I encourage you to bring a Bible if you have one, um, just in case there's other stuff in, in, around the passage that we're looking at, and you can look at that um, to help uh, understand the passage we're looking at. But uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back in the, in the entranceway, and you're welcome to grab one. Um, and if there's one not, not, and there isn't one there, let me know, and I can, I can get one for you. But we're going to be looking at Judges 7, verses 1 to 8 this morning. Last week, we looked at Judges 6, where um, we see Gideon, we're introduced to Gideon, and uh, God comes to Gideon, and he uh, comes to him in the midst of him hiding from the Midianites. And God kind of coaxes him out of hiding by reassuring him of the fact that he's going to be with him, that he is with him and will be with him. And he assures him of his favor, the fact that he has God's favor. He has peace with God. And, uh, and, and so Gideon uh, kind, of, kind of comes out of hiding, and then God tells him to destroy the altars that his family has built. And he destroys this altar to Baal. And then Gideon is then known by the people there. He's given a new nickname. Uh, the nickname is Jerobaal, which means Baal content, like, like let Baal deal with, with him. Um, and so after that, he gathers Israel's army, and he's getting ready to fight the Midianites. But at the end of chapter 6, there's a, a passage that probably some of you guys are familiar with where Gideon is looking for more assurance. He needs more assurance from God. Um, and so he asks God for a sign, and God gives it to him. And then he asks God for another sign, and God gives it to him again. He's in, in his incredible patience. Um, and so finally, Gideon is ready to go to battle with his army. And he has about 32,000 men as a part of his army, and he's getting ready to face Midian, or the army of Midian, which is about 135,000 people, which we find out later in, in uh, Judges 8. So he's facing an army of 135,000 with 32,000, okay? And then God gives him some su- surprising instructions as he's getting you know, all fired up to go, go out and fight. So listen to God's word from Judges 7, verses 1 to 8. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling... Let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the other go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we look at these verses here, um, 
that you would open our eyes to see you. That you would help us to understand what it means to trust you, um, what it means to love you, what it means to worship you. Father, we pray that you would speak to us now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are few insults that I struggle with more than when somebody calls me weak. And uh, especially my, my own sons tend to do this often. Um, you know, the, 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 con- the common phrase that they use now, nowadays is they call me soft. You know, Dad, you're so soft. You know, whether it's because, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been sitting on the couch for a while and I will get up from the couch. And, you know, as you get older, it takes you a while before you don't have to limp anymore after you get up. And, and it, you know, it takes longer and longer the older you get. So sometimes I'll get up off the couch and start staggering, staggering across the room. And Titus might be like, Dad, you're so soft. Or, you know, it's just I might be complaining about how I, I you know, rode my bike that day and I'm like so sore. And, of course, the, you know, soft. Or it's often just because I don't want to do what they want me to do. You know, Silas will often try to get me to wrestle with him in the living room when he's over. And, and when I don't want to, he's just like, Dad, you're soft. You're soft. And, and, you know, I know they're joking and everything, but inside when they call me soft, I'm just like, Aah! I'm not soft. I'm not weak. I, I hate to be perceived as weak, right? And even more than that, I, I hate to feel weak. I hate it. I I think that this is true of all of us to one degree or another. Um, None of us like to think of ourselves as weak. We like to think of ourselves as strong and capable, able to do whatever comes our way. Um, But even worse than that, when we face something in life that makes us like feel weak, when we really experience weakness, it's brutal. Um, I hate it. It's so uncomfortable to be weak, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it way more comfortable to be in a position of strength than a position of weakness? Obviously it is. I mean, there have been times in our lives when we've had less in our bank account and times in our lives when we've had more in our bank account. And of course, it feels more comfortable when I'm operating from life. It's all relative, but from a position of, of financial strength, right? Or uh, there have been times when I've been sick and I'm just like, oh, I can't wait till I, you know, I can feel better again. And uh, it's those times when you just like, you, you can't get up and you're weak or, 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 you know, some of us are really dealing with severe illnesses um, and we're, we're dealing with real weakness and, and it's not, you know, we, we want to be anywhere in our lives except for right now. Um, others of us, uh, we, we would much rather experience life from a position of relational strength when we have a lot of people around us that we know love us and care about us and support us and instead of a position where we feel like we're alone. Um, and nobody sees us or notices us when we don't have support from others. Um, there's all sorts of situations in life when that, that make us feel weak, where we have to acknowledge that we're weak. And, and I, I think, speaking for myself, I always do everything I can to get out of those situations or to long for when I'm not in those situations anymore, um, when I'm not weak anymore. And here in the beginning of, of Judges 7, we see God forcing weakness upon Gideon as he's getting ready to go out and fight a, a serious battle, right? I said he's about to, he's about to face an army of 135,000 people. And he starts off already kind of weak. He's got 32,000. He's already way outnumbered, four to one, right? And then God says, uh, you got too many, Gideon. You need a smaller army. And so he's like, tell everybody that's scared to go home. That's a lot of scared people, the 22,000. Did you notice that? <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, yep, I'm just not feeling it, Gideon. I'm going. So he's left with 10,000. And, and then God whittles the army down even more with this drinking test. And we'll get to that in a minute. He gives them this drinking test. And, and Gideon is left with 300 guys. 300 to face 132,000. I mean, that is, I, I, you couldn't, I mean, I guess you could get down just to Gideon by himself, but, but it's hard to get weaker than three, an army of 300 facing an army of 135,000, right? And so God forces this weakness upon Gideon, and he does it for a purpose. He does it for a purpose. And I, I think as we think about these verses, at the very least, this suggests that weakness in our own lives, instead of something to be resented and avoided and hated, it's something that maybe we should at least appreciate. Maybe something that we need to recognize as necessary for us to experience more of who God is and what he wants for us. That's hard to, that's hard to deal with. That's hard to accept. But I think this points to the fact that, that, that weakness is necessary. And I just want to point out two things. Um, why is weakness necessary um, from this passage, okay? So the first one is that weakness is necessary so that we don't steal God's praise. Weakness is necessary so that we don't steal God's praise. Verse 2 says it all. When God says to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying my own hand has saved me. So this is the issue. God points out that the Israelites will have this urge, you know, if they go into battle with their 32,000 people and they defeat the Midianites, that they will have this, you know, natural urge in them to be like, look at what we did. Look at what we did. Look at the military strategy that we used. The determination that we used. The resilience, the just never give up attitude. We defeated Midian because of us. He recognized the fact that, that if, if, if God doesn't do something to force weakness upon them, that it will be too easy for them to forget that it's God that deserves the credit. It's God that deserves the praise when they win. And I think this is true for all of us. I think it's true for all of us, that, that when we do something good, when we succeed at something, when we achieve something the easiest thing for us to do is to, to look at, to, to feel proud of ourselves, to, to look at what we have accomplished, to feel pretty good about what we have done. And, and when, when something goes well, when we do something really well, it, it's very easy for us to, to just not even notice that God is the one who sustains us, that God is the one who provides for us, that God is the one who gives us everything. He is the one who deserves the credit for everything in our lives. And yet we all have that, this tendency that, you, you know, even if we, we just barely squeak out a victory in life, that we will grab onto just a little bit of thread of what we have done to accomplish it. It even happens as, as people have interpreted this story, I've noticed as, I, as I've read this and then I've read some different commenta commentaries on this passage and, um, and or even in popular culture. I, I watched this, this TV show called The Terminal List. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of that show. It's, it's a new show with Chris Pratt. Um, and, uh, and it's about, Chris Pratt plays this Navy SEAL who is betrayed by people, and then he spends the rest of the series hunting the people down and finding answers, okay? 
And uh, it's so interesting because the very beginning of the show starts off with him doing a voiceover and, and narrating things, and, and he's actually telling the story of Gideon from this chapter right here. The, the, the whole st- the show begins with this. And you're like, wow, this is impressive that they want to start off the show with a, you know, a little excerpt from Gideon. But, but the way that he tells it, he, he says, uh, you know, Gideon went to God and asked God who he needed to choose for his army. And God said, separate the guys by how they drink the water, you know, the people who lap the water and the people who kneel. And he says, the people who kneel with their eyes on the horizon, with their spear in hand, those are the ones you need to choose. That, uh, he, like, basically, he's, Chris Pratt's retelling, or that the producers of the show's retelling, is that the way that God whittles it down to the 300 is he picks the 300 strongest, the 300 Navy SEALs, to go out for Israel and fight but I don't think that's what this passage is, is, is saying at all. That, that actually does violence to what the passage says. But you can kind of give them um, a pass because there are a lot of commentators who say this very thing. They, they say, you know, the difference between the guys who lapped and the guys who knelt, the guys who lapped must have been drinking in such a way that they, were, they looked more ready to fight. Um, they were, they, you know, the, the, some, some commentators, at least, will, will say the 300 were chosen because they were strong, because they were better, because they were more ready to fight. But the reality is, again, that, that goes against what God is saying in this whole passage from verse 2, right? Gideon, I need to weaken you, or you're going to take credit. So the natural interpretation here, when, when he talks about, you know, how does God choose between the guys who lap and the guys who kneel? What's the difference between these guys? I think the, at the very least, we've got to say it's completely random. It, it doesn't, you know, he doesn't find the, the people who are strongest. The 300 aren't the people who are strong, strongest. But I think even more so, it's very possible that these 300, it's actually talking about them in a negative way. You know, any, any other place in the Bible when it compares somebody to a dog, it's not necessarily a good thing. Dogs weren't seen as, as positive. Um, they were, you know, they were, they were strays often, and they would even like feed on dead bodies and things like that, and they would be seen as unclean. So to be called a dog or to, a dead dog is, is generally a, an insult. So I think to... to say that these 300 are the 300 that lapped like dogs were maybe, maybe the least, um, it says something about maybe their character, that they were <laughs> the least likely to be the ones to help. But even more so, when I think about a dog drinking water, what is it doing? It's, it's, it's down, you know, putting its face in the water, lapping it up. And so when I think of a man drinking like a dog, lapping water like a dog, I'm thinking of a guy, instead of kneeling and, you know, like scooping the water up and drinking it out, they're like flopped down on, on, all, four, on all fours at least, or maybe on, on their stomachs, just putting their face in the water and drinking it. And why would they do that? Well, maybe it's because they're, they're more tired than everybody else. <laughs> maybe it's because, and I, I become more in touch with this as I get older, it's the guys with the bad knees. <laughs> you know, they can't kneel. So they've got to get down and lap like a dog. And so this is who God chooses to save Israel, is the 300 guys with the bad knees rather than the Navy SEALs, to make sure that they know that God is the one who deserves the praise. God is the one who deserves the credit. Because this, this is it's really important for all of us to see as we live our lives. It's important to recognize how crucial it is to learn to worship God and to praise God and to boast in God rather than in ourselves. It's not, it's not only something that is right, uh, but it's something that we need. We need to learn to, to, to find joy in the greatness of who God is. 
as we live our lives. And so God sometimes forces us to be weak to recognize that we need him, to recognize that he's the only one worth hoping in. This is the thing. As, as good as it might feel to pat myself on the back and feel like I've done something great, God's glory, his greatness, fixing my attention on his greatness is going to sustain me and satisfy me way more than feeling good about myself. Giving my attention to how great God is. Um, because his glory does not end, whereas mine will. You know, mine is temporary. His glory is perfect, whereas mine is imperfect. You know, as great as my, I might, as great of something that, I, no matter how great of a thing I might do, it, it's, it's never as perfect as what God does. Um, as great as my glory might feel at times, it will always be surpassed by someone else. And God's isn't. I was just uh, kind of coming back to my, my biking analogy. You know, when, when I ride my bike, I, I rode my bike this past Friday, and I was doing this, uh, you know, I've told you before, I have this, you know, screen where I can ride in different parts of the world, and I was following a trainer at the, in the Swiss Alps, believe it or not, on Friday. It was awesome. And I was, I was like, riding up, the, riding up the mountain, you know, and I'm, I'm, like, giving it everything I have, and I'm, I'm like, exhausted. And at the end of the, end of the ride, I'm like, man, I really did something. I, that was an amazing ride. And I, I, you know, I burned so many, it keeps track of how many calories you burn. I burned so many calories, more than I ever had before. And I was like, am, I'm pretty special, you know, that's pretty amazing. And, and then, but the thing is, what it does to humble you is that at the end of the ride, it, it gives you the stats and stuff. And there's a leaderboard <laughs> of everybody who has ridden this trail, right? And I've already tried to cut my, you know, I've, I've tried to try to cut my group down a little bit by only focusing on, I, I, I use a filter to only show the people who are 50 and older. <laughs> and so I looked at that and I was like, I must be pretty high on that leaderboard. And then and I looked at it and I was like 374th for everybody who's <laughs> over 50. And like, there's like 373 people who are more glorious than me on this ride. You know, our glory does not satisfy. Only God's does. And so we need to get in the habit of teaching ourselves, of learning how to, how, to, how to dwell on his glory in all circumstances, how to, how to praise him, how to worship him, how to satisfy our hearts with how great he is, not only on Sunday mornings when we come here, but on Monday when we go into the office or when we're sitting in front of a computer screen. We need to learn to satisfy our hearts with the greatness of who God is that he does deserve all the credit for everything. And so weakness is necessary so we don't steal God's praise. Um, the, the other reason it's necessary is so that we are able to see God's power. If we aren't driven to weakness, if we aren't made to be weak, then, then we, we will have a lot harder time seeing God's power. I mean, that's the only way that, that Gideon was actually able to, to behold the power of God is, is for, for God to, to make his army nothing. Um, God takes Gideon and, and right, he dwindles this army down from, from 32,000 down to 300. And it goes even beyond that, right? He doesn't just give him 300 men with bad knees. But then at the last verse, in verse 8, it says, So the people took provisions in their hand. And then they took what? Their trumpets. They didn't take the swords. They didn't take the spears. They took their trumpets. So Gideon is left with 300 Trumpeters, with the, with you know, and he's he's getting ready to fight a, an army of one hundred thirty-five thousand people with a little marching band, 
with bad knees, no less. And, and so, like, you're left with, with, like, how on earth are they going to be able to do anything, right? But verse 7, clearly, God says, with the 300 men who left, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. As you continue to read, and I encourage you to continue to reading, reading the rest of this today, the rest of this chapter, God fights for Israel. What they do is they go and they, and they break these pots and have these torches and then they blow the trumpets. That's basically all they do to win the, win the battle. It, it, it throws the, uh, the other enemy into, into you know, they're, they're already fearful because a dream a guy had, that God gave a, a guy a dream and, and they're afraid of Gideon. And then they just basically start fighting each other and killing each other. And God completely gives them the victory without them even having to fight. And the only reason that Gideon is able to actually see God do this is because God has eliminated his resources. He's taken all of his resources away. And it's then that he's able to see how strong and mighty and good that God is, right? And I think this is why weakness is, is, is crucial for each and every one of us. As, as hard as it is to hear, as much as we might not want to hear that as much as I know some of you guys right now are in extremely difficult positions and circumstances in life where you, all you feel is weak. But the reality is, is that if we aren't forced to be weak at times, we will never notice the power of God. And we won't even be in a position to see God work in ways that, he, that, that we wouldn't see if, if we are just able to cruise along in life on our own. In order for us to be moved to hope in God's strength and to look for his provision, he must allow us to be weakened. And I, I, even dare I say, he must push us towards weakness at times. But the good news is that if you're experiencing weakness right now, then you are in the perfect position to see God. If you are weak right now in any way, then you are in the perfect position to see God, to see his power displayed in and around you. You are in the perfect seat for it. If you are struggling financially right now, you are in the perfect seat to see God's provision, to see him work. If, if you are struggling with your health or someone in your life and, and your family is struggling and it's overwhelming you, you are in a perfect position to see God's power. If you are feeling absolutely alone, that nobody else sees you, if you are feeling completely weak because you, you have no one else to support you and hold you up, you are in a perfect position to see God work, to experience his power today. If you are overwhelmed by circumstances in your workplace or, or something else in your life, something else that somebody is facing that you love, that you cannot solve, you are in a perfect position to see God's power. And, and yes, we got to be ready to see him work in all sorts of different ways. Maybe he will work by a miracle to, to fix the problem that we are dealing with. That might happen. We might see him defeat 135,000 Midianites with 300 trumpeters with bad knees. But it's also true that he might work in a miraculous way to en enable us to endure, to sustain us in the midst of what we're facing, to change us 
to become people other than we are, people different than we are, people better than we are. Uh, I just started reading a book by a guy named Scott Sauls, and the title of the book is, is something like, I'm gonna get it wrong, but beautiful people don't just happen. Um, and this is the thing. It, the thing that we need most is not to have our problems fixed, but to be changed, to become more like Jesus, to become more beautiful and glorious. And like it or not, that happens through weakness, seeing God's power change us in the midst of weakness. We, we need to become more in touch with what Steve read earlier from 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about, you know, he's, he's, he's not going to boast in all the things that are great about him, all, the th- all of his accomplishments. He's going to boast in his weakness. He's going to be grateful for his weakness because it's in his weakness that he sees the power of God. It's in his weakness that he sees God's strength. So coming back to the Navy SEAL image, um, Navy SEALs are a perfect example of strength, aren't they? For any of us who have seen movies or TV shows about Navy SEALs or maybe even know a Navy SEAL, they are the perfect image of strength. They go through all of this training, all of this like excruciating, difficult training to kind of weed out anybody, like beyond weak, anybody who's like slightly not committed, right? Um, I, I was watching this one documentary where these, it was showing how the, these Navy SEALs were being trained and they're at the beach and they're like in the waters, the waves are like pounding against them and they're holding this giant log on their shoulders that's like unbearable to hold and yet they're expected to hold it with the waves like beating against them with other people like holding the log next to them. And the entire time the trainer's just yelling at them over and over again. He's like, just go ring the bell. Just go ring the bell. You see, there's a bell up on the beach that if anybody at any point just wants to quit, they just go up there and they ring the bell and they're done. They don't have to face this like horrible, horrible test of, of strength and endurance anymore. They just gotta go ring that bell and they're done. Just quit. And yet they, you know, they don't. They, they fight through it and they demonstrate their worth and they demonstrate their strength and they demonstrate their, their endurance, right? They demonstrate their, their value and everything. Um, I think that the, the, I'll come back to that in a second, but this account of Gideon is a picture of what it takes to know God and to experience life, to experience salvation, to experience his love and his power in our lives. We are all facing an enemy that is unbeatable. Every single one of us is facing an enemy that is unbeatable, and the Bible refers to that often as our sin. Even this passage kind of refers to, it does refer to, 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 uh, to this enemy um, that lurks in each, of, each and every one of our hearts, this enemy that is constantly seeking to steal God's praise and steal his glory. We would all rather live for our own glory rather than God's. And we cannot defeat this enemy in our own strength. We can't do it. We all are facing a battle in life to try to live life and, and, and try to sustain our own joy and happiness. And, and we're straining under that pressure to try to, to, try to get you know, joy and happiness out of life and peace and security and all that. We can't do it. And what God invites us to do as we read passages like this throughout the Bible, he, he says, what you need to do is you need to stop straining and you need to ring the bell. Stop trying to handle life like a Navy SEAL and trust me, 
ring the bell, give up, know that I am strong, particularly in your weakness, and fill your heart with my glory. Fill your heart with my greatness because that is the only thing that will sustain you, especially as you feel weak today. God sent his son Jesus in order to live and to die and to rise again. To fight for us. To demonstrate the glory of God. Let's fix our eyes on him. Rest in his glory today. And know that he is enough. Particularly when we feel weak. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would... um, Help each and every person here. I know that every single person here, there are different areas of their life where they are feeling weak. For some of it, it's more profound and severe than others. Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us in our weakness. Instead of focusing on our ability, on what we can do, what we need to do, help us, Father, to ring the bell, to give up relying on ourselves and to rely on you today. Father, give us the peace of knowing that you are with us and that you um, will strengthen us and that you will pour out your power upon us, not because we have earned it, but because Jesus has. Jesus has.